Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Music Career Show. So today, my guest is one that many of you will be familiar with, even if you're not aware that you're familiar with him. If you're a self-taught musician like me, then chances are you have had lessons from this guy in one way or another over the years. He was teaching guitar online before it was even online through the likes of Lick Libraries DVDs and even appeared in the very first ever Lick Library DVD. He's now branching out into the Six String Alliance Academy. We're going to talk about that today. He's endorsed by some of the biggest names in the music industry, including Music Man, Maze Boogie and DiMarzio. And if that wasn't enough, He's rubbed shoulders with everybody and their dog and was Brian May's guitarist. This is just scraping the surface of what this guy has achieved in his immense career. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Jamie Humphreys. Jamie, thanks a million for talking to me today. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Good morning. Uh, no, it's good afternoon. Good, no, it's good afternoon for both of us, actually. So uh, good Andy. afternoon, Barry. Thank, it's, thank it's, you very much. Pleasure. Yeah, pleasure to have you. As as I say, it's it's morning somewhere. This podcast usually goes out at half seven in the morning on a Friday morning UK time. So it's good. It's good morning if you're listening to it as it comes out. So Jamie, before we get into all the 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 rubbing shoulders with rock stars and 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 all that kind of jazz, why don't we just take it all back for a second? And where did where did music all start for you? How did you get into music? Um, my dad uh, was the reason I. Uh, as you know, we spoke a few months ago. I certainly lost my dad at uh, Christmas, yeah. but my dad was 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 my biggest hero when it came to music. And I had a rock dad. Um, you know, it was Led Zeppelin. Um, it was Santana. Um, it was the Eagles. It was Queen. And yeah. um, my dad made made a couple of records. Not nothing, you know, of any kind of anything big. But he yeah. made a couple of records with his skiffle band in the in the fifties. Um cool. late yeah, it would have been the late fifties, I guess. And to me, that was quite quite amazing to have like these big, thick, the old school, you know, I think they're like lead based or something. And my yeah. phone starts ringing. There we go, a bit of R2D2. <laughs> um right. and uh um yeah, but, uh these big kind of thick lead style um old school records. And to me that was it was amazing that my my dad had made these records and yeah. and there were pictures of him playing guitar and we always had a guitar hanging in the living room and um i i, I get I, I guess it was queen was the first well it was santana and and oh i'm so sorry you're okay you can answer that if you need i'm gonna have my it's my uh, two seconds well, we'll we'll have the yeah no you're grand you're grand yeah I, i'm sorry she keeps phoning it's my other half I'm no, in a podcast, probably. love. I'm in a podcast. Hello. Yeah. Uh, it's not live. It's pre-recorded. But can we talk in a while? What's that? I need your German contact. Will do. Speak to you. We're doing a little festival in Berlin. It's going to be awesome. All right. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you in a bit. Yeah. All right. Bye. That sounds like a men's crack. I'm going to Berlin with you. My my missus is a uh, uh, a tour coordinator for Live Nation. Amazing. So so she's a tour manager, and yeah, it's we are we are the rock family. 
Yeah, that's a. <laughs> I might, I might leave some of that in because that was. Class. So anyway, yeah, but that was yeah. a new, uh, a little bit of an interruption there for my 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 lovely Swedish partner. Um, getting back to where we, she kept phoning. It was like I'm gonna have to take it. Um, yeah, you'll have. But I need your sweet. I need your German contacts. We're doing a German metal festival. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, class. <laughs> uh, so uh, where were we? Yeah. So it was my my dad was. Um, uh, the um the, the biggest it was like I said big 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 records there we go and it was Queen so we used to go up to my grandmother's we were originally from London and um, we lived in the south of England and so we used to go up to visit my grandmother on um, on a Sunday every Sunday and it was the top forty would be on and my mum would get me bathed and ready for bed because we'd have Sunday tea and I'd be in my pajamas and then they put me in the car and drive back to Kent and I'd be asleep yeah. and I, I had this vivid memory of my grandmother had a chopping board uh-huh. round with a handle in fact I, I saw my grandfather a few years ago and uh my grand had died and he gave me the chopping board and we have wow. it here in sweden it's in our Amazing. kitchen <laughs> i was actually using it last night not for playing guitar i was chopping food with it but i, I have this, yeah. this old chopping board of my grand's and and brian may uh Bohemian Rhapsody would come on and i used to air guitar to it on this chopping board Amazing. and so i used to go on to my dad about playing the guitar and picking the guitar up and we had this guitar that I still have this old acoustic guitar I'm a bit of a hoarder with with stuff like that and mm-hmm. so I, I started picking out melodies and I could work out how to play I think it was the opening melody to either Europa I think it was Europa by Santana on okay. one string I could find the notes and dad was like that's pretty weird you're like six <laughs> or something and you know obviously i could just go ding ding i found the notes and so yeah. i started to play and my brother was having guitar lessons at school and so he showed me some chords and and then eventually i joined like the the, the school guitar group um a little bit early and and was that was it really but my dad you know he took me to see santana at the albert hall when i was nine years old eight years old i think so it's got some rock concerts with my dad a lot and Class. stuff. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of that's where it came from. And then I got my first electric guitar, uh, which was like a a K Les Paul copy, which is kind of funny now that I I've been doing video on the Gibson app, and I my first guitar was a fake. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, I had that, and then my granddad uh, bought me a Yamaha SG that I I've actually used that in some of my videos recently. Yeah, I actually, I, I snapped the headstock off of that whilst uh, preparing. I did an audition for Ozzy Osbourne in 93. I think I've got, I've got the letter from him, but I was actually, wow. <laughs> I was practicing uh, for this audition to my audition tape. And I was so into my practice that I needed, I needed to, you know, Go to the needed a gentleman sit down. I needed to go to the toilet, uh, and so I uh, moved my amplifier out into the hallway, sat on the toilet, and I was practicing. And then afterwards, when you know you have to do the paperwork, uh, I put the guitar, I put the guitar down, and uh, managed to knock it over and knock the headstock off. So uh, the, moral no of the, the moral of the story, kids, is don't practice crazy train whilst you're having a poo. Because <laughs> uh, it will always it will always end in tears. So uh, that, that that's going to be the name of of this episode. Don't play crazy train while having a poo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, my I, I, the guitar has just been resurrected. Actually, yeah, uh, 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 it's very battle scar. But yeah, so that was that was it. Really, it was kind of 
a mixture of, you know, it was my dad and, and, and stuff really. And then just all my, you know, back then I was a kid of the seventies and the eighties. So, you know, the, the evils of uh, being distracted by swiping up yeah. was, not, was not a thing, you know, and all I wanted to do was play guitar. Fantastic. When did, so, so was, was there ever anything else on the cards? Were you ever going to be anything else other than a musician? Or yeah, I had, I had another really, really safe and secure job in mind, which was to be a comic book illustrator, you know. Great stuff. But... You know, absolutely no disregard for anything vaguely academic. I used to bunk my classes and hide behind the school gym to practice guitar, or I'd say to mum and dad, don't want to go in. Don't want to play this. Well, look, you could have been doing an awful lot worse. You really yeah. could have been doing that. That that's how I always think. I was I was very similar in school. I was I was actually on a a competition for playing guitar when I was younger on, on in in Ireland. Um, it was on it was on RT and all that kind of crack. And the interview was so I used to go into school every day. Oh, I had, I I was great at coming up with excuses for no homework. And I went on the telly. The whole the whole country saw me say. Oh yeah, no, sure. I don't do homework at all. I just come home and play my guitar. And then yeah. all the teachers were like, "Oh yeah, 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 all that homework that your dog ate." Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. So um, yeah, but look, you could have been doing an awful lot worse with your time. Yes. So you finished up school. What was your first job in music then? Um, well, it's it's kind of funny because I formed a band with my best friend, my oldest friend, when we were about seven, and. He played piano and I played guitar and his his father uh, tragically passed away when he was really young. He's like my he's like my other brother. Yeah. And so obviously losing your dad quite young, his mum tried to make things as nice as possible and really encouraged the music. And so he had a room at the front of the house that we used to, you know, play Star Wars in and and come up with all these other crazy things like having a, a newspaper. That was another thing we were going to do. Just yeah. like, you know, and then we decided one day that we were going to refilm Star Wars and we built a papier mache set and there was oh. flour everywhere trying to make yeah. sense. And his mum used to just put up with so much, but she bought him like a, um, a hi-fi, which was one of those kind of, they used to call them MIDI systems. What they had to do with MIDI, I had no idea because there was okay. no MIDI involved. But yeah. it had a record deck and it had two cassette players and a radio. Yeah. But it had two mic inputs. And after we got over the initial excitement of being able to record fart tapes, and, <laughs> um, as you do as a uh, as an adolescent boy, listen to this one. You know, it was uh, yeah. that was that was mainly what we did with it. We then discovered that we could. His mum bought him like a, a Yamaha keyboard. And um, if you jammed down the A and B rhythm buttons, you could actually get it to play multiple rhythms. We used to do all this shit with it. But we plugged it in and we recorded it onto one cassette. We were like, ah, we've recorded the drums. And I don't know which one of us it was. was like, well, if we take the drum tape and we put it in the playback tape, we put another tape in the record, if we play the the drums yeah. and record them onto that tape, but plug the guitar in. There you go. We can multi-track record. So we were about 10 or 11 and we worked out how to multi-track record on a hi-fi. And so then we started, you know, my guitar sound was, I've got it in the cupboard. I've got an original early 70s Big Muff that my dad got me, um, which is worth an absolute fortune. I can now. imagine, yeah, and yeah. And that was, you know, before 
you know, even before a pod or an axe effects or whatever, my guitar sound was a de-eyed big muff. You know, it was Unreal. it was the most horrendous. Yes. But we used to plug that in and record guitar. And so we started making demos and there used to be like a uh, a youth club run by the church. I'm uh, not a, uh, I was not a church guard, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there yeah. was like this youth club at the, the church hall. And we'd sort of gone down there a couple of times and there was a boy there and he always used to, they used to, you know, it was a bit of animosity, but it was all by these other group of people. And it, and one day we were in his room and we were playing and this guy and these other girls walked past and they were all pointing at the window and laughing at us because we were playing guitar and we pulled the curtains. Anyway, he got home and obviously thought, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. So he walked up, knocked on the door and we were like, what do you want? And he went, I've got a drum kit. And we were like, <laughs> really? So we went back to his house and there was his kit and he could play a rhythm. We were like, holy shit. Yeah. And so we we were about 12, I guess, and we formed our first band and we used to put on geeks. And um, and so I cut a, a really long story even longer. There was another band that we got on with. And by the time we were sort of 14 or 15, it was obvious that some of us were going to be more academic than others and I wasn't one of those and so we fused the bands together yeah and all of a sudden we moved away from trying to be like the next Marillion or Pink Floyd and my friend had this bit more of a Brian Adams thing and we kind of merged the next thing you know we we were like holy shit we kind of sounded like Def Leppard meets It Bites with all this kind of and I got my first Ibanez at 17 and my my Steve Vai thing yeah. And we did a demo and it went, it was really good. It was, I've got recordings. So drummer Dave, who's sadly passed away now, he, he played a, a Simmons kit. So we had that kind of Def Leppard yeah, sound. Yeah, cool. And we did this demo and we started playing theatres and clubs in Kent. And, you know, there'd be a queue around the street to come and see us. And really? we attracted quite a lot of attention. And by sort of 1990, there was a few, there was, uh, we were in discussions with uh, Level 42's manager and there was wow. a few labels back and forth. And we were talking to uh, Chrysalis, a subsidiary of Chrysalis Records. And we're like, I'm I'm 18. I'm going to be a rock star. Yeah. With my long hair and my two Ibanez guitars. And then all of a sudden, Nirvana. Yeah, came and ruined it for all of us. <laughs> fucked it right up. Oh, sorry. I said a naughty word. Uh, ru- ruined it for all of us. So um, we... Uh, all my friends started wearing flannel shirts and not washing their hair and staring at the floor. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to carry on doing. So I, I met uh, Phil Hilborn, who I'd read his column in guitarist magazine since I was about 13. Um, I got his phone number. Someone said, I've got his number and I phoned him up and I started taking lessons. And, and it was through that, that, he kind of saw something in me and we became, you know, he's, he's my, uh, my daughter's godfather. You know, we talked a lot and uh, uh, he, he saw something in me and really took me under his wing and my mum would be phoning. Where are you? And I'm still in my lesson with Phil, you know, a one hour lesson would be like five hours late. I'd be having dinner and we'd be putting on all these shrapnel albums on vinyl. And I discovered Greg Howe and Jason Becker and all these players in like, you know, the late eighties, early nineties. So it was, yeah. It was a really cool time. And then he was starting up Guitar Techniques magazine with Neville Martin. They were branching off from guitarist. 
and I badgered the hell out of him. And then in a lesson one day, uh, I'd, I, I'd, I used to work in a yogurt factory and other various shite jobs. And yeah. I convinced, well, he said to me about, you should quit your job. So I convinced my mum and dad and my dad built me a studio and I was teaching. And uh, on one day he just said to me, do you want to have a go at doing a transcription for the mag? Cause I was doing a lot of handwritten transcribing and stuff. Oh. And, and that was it. So I started writing for guitar techniques magazine in 1994. 1994. Wow. And I've got a column coming out with them. I think it's the next issue or the issue after it's yeah. You know, we're 2023 and I'm still writing. You're, you're, you're nearly 30 years on. Yeah. Which is... That's absolutely amazing. So, so, so that would have been like your first sort of, I can, I don't need to work in that yogurt factory. I don't need to pull pints. I don't need to do mm. this, that and the other to keep myself going. That yeah. was your first kind of real job. Yeah, I, I had quite a, I had quite a successful teaching thing. It was because of that time with Nirvana and Green Day and Oasis. It was, I, I, I was earning decent money sitting in the music room my dad had made me yeah and and it was a great time i had a new originals band plus we did like we were a three-piece and so we were doing a lot of classic rock and we all sung so it was like the, the drummer is now iggy pop's drummer um, right. which is which is quite amusing uh, but yeah. the three of us would sing and play and, and, and we were doing a lot of gigs all the time we were gigging so um that was fun and writing for the magazine and teaching. So it was a really um, inspiring and creative sort of time to be playing guitar. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm a music teacher as well, and I am in my music room. I just zoom out. This is basically a fancy shed in my garden, so I nice. teach out here as well. So it's it's great. But um, I'd imagine back in the early 90s, uh, when you're, you're talking about the likes of Nirvana and Green Day and Oasis and all that kind of stuff, you're four chords maximum in a song. So if people just want to learn all of ne- all of Nevermind, it's not, it's not a huge task for a guitar teacher. No, I was trying to teach them, you know, Richie Cotson and that was when Mother's Head Family Reunion came out and I was trying to teach them uh, uh, Pride and Glory, the Zach Wild um, yeah. album, and no, I want to play Green Day. Anyway, uh, here's Wonderwall. Yeah, oh that, oh that song is like it's probably part of my DNA. I taught it so many times back. Oh, then. I, I'm phoning up about guitar lessons. Don't tell me Wonderwall. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, you know, and it was, but it was good, and um, and it was from there that uh, I, I was teaching guitar. Um, in a guitar shop and this this was a weird thing i was teaching guitar in a guitar shop and i'd done some stuff for marshall amps as way back as 1989 i'd done a couple of marshall road shows oh cool and um and so uh i was sort of known a little bit and yeah. my guitar teacher obviously would introduce me to people at guitar shows and so um i remember going and getting asked to play at this marshall road show so I had this, which I've just found. I was saying about being a hoarder. Yeah. My original four-track machine still. Wow. Look at that, kids. That's before iPads. That's what you recorded on. And I recorded all my old guitar clinic stuff on this, and I programmed the drums. And wow. then we used to go over to Phil's studio, and we'd output the tracks onto his hard disk machines. This was pre-computer recording, and then we used to yeah. tart them up and put them on ADAT. And I did this, 
this Marshall show and it was really well attended and, you know, Marshall were like, oh, we should get you as part of the team. And, and uh, this guy came up to me. And uh, before that, I, I used to always go to the guitar shows at the, in London. And I remember when Music Man, I always loved Music Man because of Steve Morse. Yeah. I loved the, the four and two headstock. And when Eddie started playing the, the EVH, I was like, oh, I want that guitar. Yeah. And I used to go to the guitar shows and sit on the Music Man stand and they'd literally be prizing the guitar out of my hand at the end of the weekend. Uh, and then I did this Marshall show several years later and this guy came up to me and he was like, you were that long-haired kid. And I was like, yeah. He said, well, I work for Music Man. Uh-huh. I was like, oh. And he said, and we're looking to sort of really try to raise the profile of the guitars in the UK. And we're looking for a young up-and-coming guitar player. Would you be interested? It's like, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So they sent me, it was just after Eddie had gone to PV, so they sent me one of the first Axis. I've actually got um, one of the very early Axis prototypes in my live room, but they sent me this Axis. And, oh, no. Um, I did a few yeah. uh, bits for them, a few shows and whatnot. So I've actually, I've actually got one of the first prototypes of the Axis in there. Um and they gave me this Axis, uh, this 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 Axis guitar, and I, I did some, I did some shows for them, and it, it was really weird because they then called me and said, oh, "That guitar, uh, yeah. we need it back." I was like, "Oh, okay, uh-huh. you know, we'll give you a call when we got some more demos." At that same time, I'd done one or two transcriptions for Guitar Techniques, and Phil called me up and said. Um, there's a full-time position at Guitar Techniques. Do you want a monthly column? And I was like, yeah. And then I think it was the same week, I had another phone call from what would be Lick Library. Yeah. It was called Total Accuracy. And they said, oh, we've got your name from Phil Hilborn. And he said, you're really good at transcribing. Uh, Would you write some guitar books? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> How do I do that? How do I do that? And I said yes to it. It was funny because I'd done a few charts. So I, my girlfriend at the time actually bought me a book called How to Read Music, which had a, which I used as like a dictionary. And I wrote my first two books reading that book. Fantastic. So, and so uh, I phoned Music Man back and said, well, I want to get the guitar. I said, okay, I've just got a job working for... Um, guitar techniques have got a monthly column and I'm also writing the guitar books and CDs for total accuracy. And they went, hang on to the guitar. And then about a month later, I got a contract from Music Man and that was 25 years ago this year. Amazing. And you've still got that that endorsement with Music Man. Yeah, they, they built me a one of, I wouldn't say it's a signature model. It's my own version of the Axis they built for me for my 20th year. They I spoke to to Brian and uh, and Sterling, and they were like, "What do you want? What would you like?" And off you go. So I designed this guitar that's the only the only one of its kind, which is is that's it's kind of the main one that I use I use quite a lot. But um, yeah, so still with them, still amazing. Yeah. So, amazing. So for 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 anyone look, so for for anybody thinking about like endorsements and that that's like a uh, that could be one of their career goals how does an endorsement work I, my, my understanding of it and i'd imagine an awful lot of other people that don't have endorsements that their understanding of it is that you play the the instruments and you get them for free 
Is that how it works or how? Not anymore. I, I don't really know. I think because music has changed so much and I, I, I have to be careful what I say here because I might sound like a bitter old fart when I'm no, not. Um, because I based my career on practicing like anything and studying and going to gigs and playing gigs from about the age of 11. And yeah. now it seems that if you if you have enough followers and maybe if you look a certain way, I've seen people who I'm like, okay, you're playing guitar, that's great, but they're having stuff thrown at them because they get a lot of views, not necessarily based on the I'm trying to be really careful, but no, not, I know exactly what you're saying. Not necessarily based on the guitar playing skill, because if that was a middle aged man playing guitar that way, they you wouldn't get no. looking. No, no. So no. I think it's very different. Um, I think for me, uh, with with my career, I I have been fortunate, but I was as as um, a friend of mine, Andy Wood, said to me a couple of years ago. You were one of the first guys that I ever saw doing this, and we were doing this before the internet. Yeah. So and then you know, Lick Library was the first internet based company yeah you know and and i did i did all i've done over 400 products for lick library you know yeah. i did the first dvd so we were very much and i i, I even had a, a a tv show on playing guitar on sky tv so my it yeah. was yeah 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 that was, was quite embarrassing but i did do it but it was you know and, and also you were in the guitar magazines every month yeah, and working, I was one of the main tutors at the Academy of Contemporary Music for twelve years. So there was a lot of, in terms of now, it's the internet. So if you have a big enough following, and you, yeah. you know, it's all based on people. A lot, of, you know, I've got some friends who do some great covers. A buddy of mine, Kafir, he does fantastic videos and he does his own take on 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 tunes. Yeah, but I didn't come from that school no. of player. I I came from somewhere else. No, and and I think I now it's you know. I'm my inbox, even with my pretty small kind of thing that I do, my inbox is full of companies. Would you collaborate with us? We'll give you this and you'll do. And I don't even answer it. I'm like, no, I play music, man, because my two heroes played them. Yeah. Steve Morse and Eddie Van Halen. Yep. And that's why I've played a music man guitar for longer than my professional career while I was still a guitar teacher in the back of a shop and I was playing a music man. Um, I've had various amplifier companies that I've worked with over the years, but penultimately it was always Mesa Boogie. And when I was playing with Henry Rollins, Boogie approached me and said, how, you know, how would you feel about using our amps? Using boogies. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And that grew into me doing a lot of video work for Boogie. Yeah. Um Damasio I've been with twenty odd twenty-two years, Class. I think. Twenty-one yeah. years. And that came from meeting Steve Blucher at a NAM show. You know, Steve Blucher was the name I'd always read on all my shrapnel albums and on Passion and Warfare and on Skyscraper. You know, it was yeah. thanks to Steve Blucher at Damasio. And when he came up to me, I was I made um uh I I've known Guthrie since ninety-four. We taught at the same school and and we both did a lot of stuff for Cornford in the late nineties. And we made yeah. a, we made an EP together. 
right which which was called the introduction introducing but i like to call it jesus versus the mekong because it, uh, guthrie had all his hair and his beard and yeah, i'm yeah, leaning yeah. forward and my head's extended so that's what it became affectionately referred to as jesus versus the mekong it was the worst album cover you've ever seen but we did this <laughs> we did this thing together and steve blucher came up to me and said i was standing on the call for booth and he was like you're the other half of the guthrie duo aren't you and I was like, yeah, who are you? And looked down and saw Steve Blucher and like, <gasps> you know, wanted to gem at him because yeah. it was it was Steve Blucher. And so <clears throat> that that relationship bore. And so I've never I've had many opportunities to absolutely rinse gear and yeah. I turned down a lot of it because yeah, it's I don't really see it as a career path. No, no, it's it's more I, of a, a, like a, it, I, I think, it sort of creates authority. So if, if you're associated with the likes of like you, you're associated with the biggest names in the industry, like the Marzio Boogie. Funny because I'm so old. It's just I, but, you know, it's just because I've been around. I've been around so long, but I think it's now. It's it's. I think if you have, I, I think obviously if you have a successful YouTube channel and you're producing content, I'm fortunate. My YouTube channel I've had since 2008, uh, but I was making someone else's YouTube channel big. So of course, yeah, yeah. I was doing Lick Library, so mine got neglected. And I, a friend of mine who worked for Wampler and then Two Notes encouraged me um, to start doing more. And then working with Warren Hewitt from Produce Like a Pro, it's it's growing. Um, but I'm fortunate where I get brands. I, I guess it's because of. The reputation of what I what I do with how I present my videos, I get paid, yeah. and some and sometimes I get the gear, but that's yeah. that's not always. And, and quite often, if I like a piece of kit, and someone says to me, "Would you demo my gear?" I'll be like, "Yeah, I think that's cool." So, yeah. I, it, for me, it's not a, a, a an endorsement deal. Deal for me is a is a relationship. You know, it's like yeah. like I said, it's I've known the Ball family for twenty five years. I've, I've been to the Ernie Ball uh, factory and I've done demos for those guys in America yeah, yeah. and 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 with Mesa Boogie they're they're friends you know and it's and, and for me it's about tour supporting and 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 aiding each other in I'm doing this thing and yeah you know let, and so uh, and, and as Sterling Ball said to me I think it was either last year or the year before we were chatting on the phone he said to me that even you now are one of the old ones you know look at yeah. look at steve morse look at luke look at yeah um they're the next generation or some of them are two generations on from me but i'm now starting to get up so he said really your your pulling power is not yeah people, people probably look at you and are like who, who the hell is this old man um <laughs> or this middle-aged man where whereas you know you'll get some kid who can play a certain, you know it's it's more yeah you know people are I think people now look to other 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 people. It's a, it's a different time. So you yeah. know, my relationship with Music Man is they still support me so much. I just think it's because of loyalty and friendship. So I bet I you know I I've had talks with some other pretty big brands, but yeah. it, it's um, I just I couldn't I could never really I play other guitars, but it's always it's always a Music Man really. So yeah, and, Music Man's always home. That's it. That's that's what I've always done, and I will continue to do so. So I I don't really think that I would suggest that a, an endorsement deal is, uh, you know, if you're doing your channel, I guess I'm probably not the best person to talk to about this, but 
you know, I think I guess if you're doing your channel and you know you're appealing to the eye, uh, yeah, uh, or, or have something cool going on or, or whatever, and you get loads of views, and you know, I, I, I guess that's then having support from companies is great, but you know, yeah, someone like someone like me, no one gives a shit, but ah, uh, uh, well. I do. I certainly do. I, I the, the the first time I came across you, and I did, it was why I said it at the start. There was that an awful lot of people will, will will know who you are, even though they wouldn't necessarily recognize you as Jamie Humphreys. Was that I saw those Lick Libraries DVDs in the music shop in Tullamore. Tullamore is a town about twenty minutes away from where I'm from in Ireland, and it was just this big display of like DVDs, and you were on them, and I was like, oh, grand. And then later on. When I started uh, learning, when, when, once once we had a stable enough internet connection that YouTube videos didn't take ten minutes to download, like yeah. a thirty second clip, I was like, "Ah, that's your man off the DVDs. How has he gotten his DVD onto YouTube? Yes, that's class. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, so uh, I don't really know where I was going with that there, but it was just it was it was just when, when you were talking there, it just kind of brought me back uh, to 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 when I was starting and stuff, and you you, you named like skyscraper i've got that on vinyl upstairs do you know what i mean i rem- i still remember the first time i heard um just like paradise I've, i still remember that because i was like that's not eddie van halen like, and then he was playing the massive big heart guitar oh class and I, I i still remember having to send away for passion and warfare because it wasn't in my local I cd saw, shop and stuff i i saw david lee roth on the skyscraper tour did you yeah yeah wow. me and my friends we 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 didn't have tickets and we went up to london and uh, we bought, now we got tickets, last minute tickets for that. It was then we got them for Wembley because I met Steve by the first time at the Hammersmith gig and he signed my wallet. Oh, I, was, I, yes. was too, I was too poor to buy a concert program. And oh. so he signed my wallet for me. And then we went to see them at um, Wembley and we got there really early and no word of a lie. We walked round the side. It was all open. We saw the trucks were coming in. Yeah. And we walked round. It was no one yeah. around. And we walked down. I'll never forget walking down the side of Wembley Arena. Yeah. And the, all the side doors open. And we walked in. And there was a rack of guitars. And Noink. there was all Steve Vai's guitars. And we were like touching the heart guitar. <laughs> are, are these just for, for grabs? Or we can, honestly... If I if I was a little bit Velcro fingered, I could have picked up one. There was no security. There were no. There was no one. No one. You know, the, I'm looking at the tours that I do. Like the the, the security and crew everywhere. You, I dread to think that my gear is left. Yeah, but yeah. It was. It, and that is that is God's honest truth. And then we went to meet them. I had my concert program, and they were being bundled out of a of a minivan. And Steve Vai. I walked up to him, I gave him my concert program and he started to sign it for me. And uh, the security guard launched at me and tackled me to the ground. And Steve Vai looked really angry. All the signature got smudged. So I still had it and I had the, the ticket stubs put in. And a few years ago, Steve Vai played in Stockholm and I was talking to Dave Wiener and he invited me down. And uh, I was I got to sit in like the box with the fans in the venue. It was like a room upstairs where the, Steve's wife was. And I was in this bit. And, and afterwards, I got to meet Steve and I told him the story. I said, you won't remember this. Obviously, I was 15, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I showed him the concert program, Smudged. And I said, would you sign it for me again, please, Steve? No, it was on the 20th anniversary or whatever it was of Passion and Warfare gigs, those ones a few years ago. So yeah. he signed it. He signed it to Jamie, Steve Vai, again. 
and, uh, <laughs> and so I have this I have this skyscraper thing which has got the smudged tackled to the ground by security signature and the and the new one. But I have I have the Hammersmith ticket and I have the Wembley ticket um, both stapled in there. That's just so so cool. That's so cool. Steve Vai seems like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, I got to play with him at the London Guitar Show in 2009 with, uh, it was Phil Hilborn again was doing a thing with, he plays in a band a lot with Nico McBrain and I had the yeah. chance to play with Nico in America. He, he guested on a tour I was on and and so I, and he was Phil's best man. So I've known Nico for years. So yeah. I got invited up and I can't, I can't remember what, it was, yeah, I played, this was weird. Okay. I played Run to the Hills. Yeah, yeah. With Nico McBrain on drums and Steve Iron guitar. We were playing Iron Maiden covers. That's the most surreal. Run to the Hills was the very, very first Iron Maiden song I ever heard. And to this day, the only Iron Maiden album I've ever owned is Number of the Beast. And I could probably yeah. recite every single song from start to finish on Number of the Beast. One of the very, very few albums that I actually love start to finish. Mm. I think it's just pure perfection. That's just insane. That's just, like, a, before before myself and Jamie started recording here, he, we, we were chatting and catching up and just getting to know each other and stuff. And I said, it's like literally watching, having every single documentary I've ever watched on music talk back to me. It's just, it's it's wild hearing these stories. It's amazing. But um, you, you said there at the, at the start that you 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 were raised on the likes of, of Queen and they were one of your very, very first ever influences. And only eventually went on to become Brian May's guitar player. Now, number one, why does Brian May need a guitar player? And number two, how did that come about? Uh, well, Brian doesn't really need a guitar player. I think that sometimes Brian becomes a little unsure of himself. And he, I think in the in the 90s, he had uh, Jamie Moses. And I'm sure that I only got the job because my name was Jamie. And, uh, uh, <laughs> it was one less job for an yeah, admin. Right, I didn't have to remember my name. What's your name? Steve, Dave, whatever. Um, yeah. So... Um, and and so obviously there's some quite intricate harmonies. Um, it was I I work a lot with um, Dave Kilminster uh, from Roger Waters. Oh yeah, okay. and I'm about to mix Dave's third album. It's with basically it's basically Stephen Wilson's band on the album. So it's like Marco Minimum and Nick Beggs and I can't remember the keyboard player's name. I'm afraid. Um, but Dave's done a new album and we've been meant to be mixing it since the pandemic. But um, Dave was doing the Roger Waters thing. I'd I'd been doing, I was working with a producer and we'd been doing some stuff for Virgin. So I was doing a lot of like top 20 stuff in, in sort of 2003. Yeah. And it's, it's, I still work with that producer because I, I ended up actually, my guitar playing is on a, um, what are they called? There's a, a K-pop band who are absolutely massive. Uh, B- BTS? Yeah, I'm on a BTS single. That, which is, that's that's going to be the name of the episode, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I did um, I did a session for them. I had to, through, through this friend of mine, he just called me this producer I worked with. He said, oh, I'm working with this, one of the biggest producers in Korea. And we're working on this BTS. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Um, and so um, he, uh, he, I had to replay the samples, basically. Okay, fair enough. Like, because they pitched them 
and they've gone weird, lots of artifacts. Yeah. And and so um, also they couldn't because of licensing. So I had to take this piece of guitar that they'd built, which was Four actually albums. impossible to play. So oh, really? I, and it, yeah, it was, it was, it was, he couldn't play it. It was like this bit, that bit. And, and I, but I had to map and it did come back. No, you've got to get this feel right. And that feel right. And I didn't know anything about it. And then James said to me, you do realize that your guitar playing is on the biggest downloaded, um, released single of all time on iTunes. I was like, oh, who, who's that? So, but anyway, so I was doing that and, I was hanging out with Dave a lot. We were doing a lot of gigs together and stuff when he was doing the Roger Waters stuff. And we were doing a lot of stuff with Richie Cotson at the time. Yeah. And so uh, one morning I got up and uh, I opened my email in my old studio and I had this email and it said Neil Murray on it. Uh, I was like, Neil Murray? And it said, hello, my name's Neil Murray, bassist for White Snake, Black Sabbath, Gary Moore. And this, I was like, yeah, mate, I know who you are. Yeah, and he said that he said I play bass on the We Will Rock You show in London, yeah. and uh, we need a new guitar player. And every time we put classic rock into YouTube, you appear. Would you be interested in coming up and sitting in? I was like, yeah. So I went upstairs from my studio, make a cup of tea, and Dave texted me and he said, "Check your email." I said, "I have," and he went, "What do you think?" I said, "Yeah, Neil Murray," and he was like, "What?" He said, "Check your email." So I went back down, checked my email, and then it was. Hi, my name's whatever from the Australian Pink Floyd show, and your your name has come through Roger Waters' management. Would you be available for an American tour? And I was like, what? So I kind of put the We Will Rock You thing on hold because I went on tour for four months in America and Canada. Yeah. When I came back, I went in and I sat in on We Will Rock You, and the way that they mission you is that you play to the audience. Right. You don't rehearse. So you've got this red special with all these switches and a treble booster and there's no clean sound. It's all done. You've got your in-ears. You've got a television screen with the MD. I'd never worked with a conductor. And they basically, if if you're crap, you get the, the shepherd's crook. You're off. I know. Yeah, it's it's real trial by fire. So I went up. I remember for the first song, I had no vibrato. I was so nervous. Oh, it was like, gosh. meh. Why won't my hair move? And <laughs> and I did it and I got through the show. And the guy I was subbing for was sitting next to me, Alan Darby. Um, and Alan said, um, he's he just recently sadly passed away. He used to play with uh, Van Morrison and Eric Clapton and Bonnie Ray. He he played with some big names, and he yeah. he said to me, Right, I'm booking you for next week. You're on your own, sort of thing. I was like, shit. Yeah. So you come up the next time you play it. It's just you know you and uh, I was Laurie Wisefield from Wishbone Ash and Tina Turner's band. So it's all these yeah. pros, and then I'm sitting there. Well, what am I doing here? Yeah. And so I kind of became one of the main subs for Chair One, and we were rock you. Okay. Um, unbeknown to me, the singer who was Swedish and uh, who played Galileo and. And Jenna, who played Scaramouche, they were they were all like, "Ah, oh, he's a stayer. He'll do well." Anyway, me and Phil Phil was doing it as well on the other chair, and we went out and did this tour in America that I told you about was a bit crap, yeah, um, and, and actually went under. And we both came back a little bit scarred. And yeah, Pete, Peter had left. We will rock you and come back to Sweden, and so he was doing his own show called Champions of Rock. And it was a little theatre production. And he said, would you guys come out and play guitar? 
So it was with Neil Murray again. So we all came out and one gig turned into two, two gigs turned into three, which turned into a live album. We sold this really big theatre out. Yeah. And so next thing it was, we're doing a tour. So I came back to Sweden and there was a, uh, a female singer named Kerry Ellis on there. And Kerry had worked with, um, uh, was, was, uh, meatloaf was it meatloaf or britney spears it's a different name depending on what country you do it on but she was in um in we will rock you yeah and so we got hanging we were hanging out and she was like you really sound like brian i was like oh thanks thanks you know yeah just hear stuff and i guess in the years of doing the guitar magazines and the meat library you analyze and you exaggerate the thing that you think makes that player sound away and for me yeah with brian may there's a very majestic kind of phrasing to his playing which you try yeah. to emulate so um yeah he uh, uh she she sort of said that and i didn't think anything of it we finished the tour and one evening i was driving back from the acm or should i say i was sitting in traffic jam on the m25 right. and my phone went kerry phoned and she was oh, all right oh, all right kerry what are you doing on september the i can't remember the day and I, was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know i said why she said do you want to do a gig I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, what is it? She said, oh, it's with Brian May in Hyde Park. <laughs> and I was like, God. what? And she said, yeah, you've been put forward for this new band with Brian May. Jesus. Like, shitting me. So anyway, I got asked to do this feature for the guitar magazine where they came and photographed my studio because I've got quite a big guitar collection and they yeah. wanted to do a thing and so they were photographing it and my phone kept ringing while the guy was there uh, my mobile then my home number and i picked it up and this lady just said oh hello my name's sarah from duck productions i work for brian may and i was about to go yeah whatever you know was, and and as the guy was sitting there and 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 i was like oh yeah yes yes really <laughs> and um she said yeah I, we believe that you're in for a full week of we will rock you next week and i said yeah i am and yeah. she said uh brian will be coming to watch you play jesus christ and i put the phone down i said the guy i was like holy shit so anyway uh, i turned up on one particular day and they said um jamie brian well they said on the other uh, md said over the mic to everyone right best behavior the boss is in <laughs> and i was like, oh no and everyone neil was looking at me good luck and and uh, the, the md Stuart just said jamie just relax yeah and just play and i was like relax and i remember sitting in the in the box on the bandstand because you're at the sides and yeah, looking yeah. over into the box and just seeing the silhouette <laughs> of hair and thinking that's my guitar here i was a kid and he's watching me play and so i played the first act yeah. and everyone was like nice you not yeah. what you know it was no fuck ups all done and um, so Stuart said over the thing, could everybody please leave the bandstand and go to the, the band room? And Jamie, will you stay there? And so no I way. sat there on my own and then I heard him, where's Jamie? And up he came. And I was like, it's fucking bright. Oh, I just fought again, sorry. There you have to beat. Yeah, hey, whatever there's, the fuck you want, it's all good. Uh, there's, there's, that's Brian May. And he said to me, this was the funny thing. He said to me, what guitar is that you're playing? Obviously meaning what version? And I went, well, it's one of yours, bro. <laughs> and, and I don't know whether that's like humor broke the ice, but we he was like, I know that. Thank you very much for listening to the first part of my 
epic interview with the legend that is Jamie Humphreys. Uh, please stick around for part two, which will be released this day next week. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it will be released next Friday at the same time. Want to have your attention, please, if you wouldn't mind sending this episode to someone that you think would really, really enjoy it, potentially a guitar player, a Queen fan, just someone that likes to listen to music in general. And while you're at it also, if you could leave a review for the podcast, that would be absolutely that was amazing. The music career show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the music career show.